0: Taz,
1: how are you today? Doing well. A great ski weekend. Yeah, we're skiing. We were shredding down the slopes today. <laughs> the snow was great. The yeah. company, impeccable. Mm-hmm. The air was voluminous. There's a voluminous <laughs> amount of air underneath my feet when I went off of <laughs> jumps today. I had to have gotten maybe... G-Dub said that I got at least two inches of air on one of my oh, jumps. You, I mean, yeah, you were flying. It was electrifying. And it got, it
0: got the crowd going. And yeah. it did the job. That was the job. The job was to energize
1: your fellow skiers. Mm-hmm. It did the job. Something that uh, our t- subject today was very good at motivating. His name, Vince Lombardi. And we're talking about him for a special reason is because at the time of recording, we're right around the Super Bowl, which is the penultimate American football competition. It's a big deal. It probably should be a national holiday. <laughs> <laughs> like Super Bowl, not Super Bowl Sunday, Super Bowl Monday. So yeah. that everybody can have their awesome Super Bowl plans. A little bit different this year, but
0: yeah. If you're a boss, you better have some leeway, some grace period with anyone the day after the Super Bowl. But in addition, the actual event is, it's like a holiday. You prepare, you get together
1: with family and friends. There's great food. People are excited. You may be buzzing. You may be buzzing. You may have made some scones. I made some spicy (laughs) scones. I'm excited for that. And uh, the reason that Vince Lombardi And the Super Bowl are so significant to each other is because the Super Bowl trophy, which is one of the most iconic trophies in sports, is named the Vince Lombardi trophy. Mm -hmm. Which immediately makes him a legend. Like Going into this, I didn't know much
0: about him. But the fact that the trophy is named after Vince Lombardi,
1: immediate legend status. Yeah. And the more I read about him, the more deserving he became of the (laughs) Super Bowl trophy to be named after him. So Vince Lombardi, American football coach. And uh, let's start way back, back in the year 1913. He's born Vince Lombardi. This is not someone who we're going to look back on and say, that was a football coach. We're going to look back on him and we're going to say he was kind of a defining person Mm -hmm. in almost a generation where he was a motivator. He was um, really significant when it came to cancer fighting. It mm-hmm. was kind of it, something I didn't know about him was that he, it was, he was a very, um, he had a very notable bout with cancer. That was, oh, yeah. that was really gripped the country at the time. And he, here's kind of a fun fact. He has the number one best-selling instructional video of all time (laughs) (laughs) oh which i have watched it's called second effort yeah and it's him coaching a salesman and it's it's one of the most (laughs) intense things i've ever seen yeah you want to run through a brick wall yeah and that's the point he's so inspirational yeah and it's almost like football is a side thing yeah and Uh, and we'll go into it he's kind of uh personification of the american dream in a lot of ways oh absolutely that's a good point
0: too and also uh, like the personification of a coach like i feel like an old school
1: classic coach but you know let's let's get into it you know you know (laughs) let's get into it so june 11th 1913 he is born in the sheep's head bay neighborhood of brooklyn new york and um, his grandparents on both sides were italian immigrants and his father and his uncle opened a butcher shop in manhattan yeah he
0: worked as he grew up in this butcher shop and for me i just always envision rocky balboa in these boxing movies just punching the meat carcass and just like (laughs) getting tough getting old school rough like it almost it created the
1: the rough tough rumbler that lombardi would become Yeah. And it was interesting because he, it seems like he had a pretty good childhood as far as I think that his family owned some businesses and I think they did well even during the great depression. They, but then, but then at the the same time, he was of Italian heritage living in New York city back in uh, the late 19 teens, 1920s. And there was a lot of discrimination against Italians in New York city at the time. And it kind of set the tone in an interesting way to make him, uh, he was kind of a civil rights advocate yeah. as, as he got older, which was something that I didn't, I didn't know that about him. And I thought that was a really interesting aspect of his personality.
0: Yeah. His time as a coach of the Packers, he made it a point, a no tolerance policy for discrimination. He said if he saw any discrimination from any players, staff, he wouldn't let them go. And he said, you know, the discrimination, racial, sexual orientation, which was very novel for the time. And they even had a player who was in an interracial marriage and the owner of the football league went to Vince Lombardi and was like, was like, you can't have this player on your team because he's in an interracial marriage. And Lombardi is telling his boss, like, get off my back. This is my team. I'm going to coach it the way
1: I want. You know, he's a Packer. Um, So he really stood up for that guy. Yeah, and um, he told in Green Bay, Wisconsin, he told local businesses that if they were going to – if he got wind that they treated his black players any different than they treated his white players, that the team would, would not be allowed to go to that establishment anymore. Yeah. He demanded equality for all people on on the team. These are things that sound kind of common sense now, but at the time, in the NFL, this was not a very popular opinion. There were a lot of other coaches that didn't really share this viewpoint with him at all, and he was really kind of a pioneer of of this uh, push for equality within within pro sports. And a lot of people, like you're saying,
0: pointed to the discrimination he felt. And we'll see. He had trouble finding job as a college coach. And, you know, people would say to him, it's because you have a vowel at the end of the name. People didn't want to hire Italian men to be the coach. And so some people think that, you know, he that helped him appreciate to some extent, maybe what his black players were going through.
1: Yeah, it was very significant. He was working for the New York Giants. The head coach of the New York Giants was writing letters of recommendation for him to get better coaching jobs within the NFL. And he struggled for a significant period of time. And
0: a good business move, too, because you don't want to limit the amount of people you could potentially have on your team. You want to
1: get whoever's the best. That was, yeah, that was what he cared about. (laughs) What he cared about was winning. (laughs) Yeah. What's the famous quote of his? Winning is There's, not the the most important thing. It's the only thing. Yeah, winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. And uh, <laughs> we'll go through it. Also, winners never quit and quitters never win. That's another quote attributed <laughs> to Lombardi. Another quote is right. is. Let's, let's is go through an, him. <laughs> he's such a quotable guy. Do you have any others that he... I have a whole list. Let's hear them. Some of them that I looked up after I watched Second Effort. I then went back and was like, oh, that's where this quote comes from. So this is from Second Effort. <laughs> The difference between a successful person and others is not a lack of strength, not a lack of knowledge, but rather a lack of will. Called out. (laughs) Felt like he was speaking to me when he said that. Yeah, yeah.
0: Here's another famous one I've heard so many times: the only place success comes
1: before work is in the dictionary. That's, all right, can we agree that that's kind of a hard O,
0: dude? All of these, I'm like, all I don't right, want yeah, this guy to be my coach. Reason, all the other
1: ones, it's like, imagine if he was your boss, like not oh even my. football related. Imagine if you're sitting down, you're in your in your yearly review with your boss, and he says. The only place that success becomes comes before hard work is <laughs> in the dictionary. You're like that chill out. You're, you're in for a tough year. <laughs> um and one that's specific, this is football specific, it's not as translatable. Mm-hmm. But as the coach of the Green Bay Packers, he said that his players should care about three things. Their religion, their family. In the Green Bay Packers. That's what they should care <laughs> Let's about. Go.
0: Yeah. He he put Green Bay Packers on the map. Another quote, it's not whether you get knocked down, it's whether you get up. He, uh, <laughs> wait, that quote is attributed to him. <laughs> Th- that's what I'm like, that's like something so many people have probably said,
1: but we're wrong with it. How about once you learn to quit, it becomes a habit? Ooh. That's a good point. The theme of the second effort video, <laughs> I keep going back to it, but the theme of the second effort video was at the beginning, the salesman is trying to sell him something and he says no. And the salesman's like, oh, that's too bad. And then he's going to leave. And then the whole rest of the video is Vincent Lombardi explaining that he didn't have the second effort. So he's basically <laughs> like, try, try again. Oh my God. Like eventually you'll get what you want. Dude, it sounds like he's creating one annoying salesman. <laughs> So another significant aspect of Vince's childhood was religion. Catholic. He went to the Cathedral College of the Immaculate Conception in Brooklyn. That was where he went to high school, which is a school that you go to if you're planning on becoming a Catholic priest. Yeah, he was
0: eyeing that. He was going to become a priest, but then a friend of his said he liked football and girls and i guess they didn't have a football team and
1: the catholic church priest you don't really have a, a female companion
0: <laughs> just kidding.
1: so yep so he he graduated from there and then he and he was he was also playing football it's kind of interesting because now in the us we have like pop Warner and a lot of organized youth football but he would just play kind of semi-organized, no coaches, but they would be organized with each other, the football leagues, which I thought was pretty interesting. Sports have become so organized and
0: almost like bureaucratic. While this kind of reminds me of my grandfather. He said, like, he tried out for the Yankees. The Yankees used to just have tryouts, and anyone could show (laughs) up. Your
1: grandfather tried out for the Yankees?
0: (laughs) Yeah, but it was like anyone could show up, and that's my point. I think sports were more casual... he tried to play shortstop for the new york yankees yeah he wasn't good it was anyone could show up
1: <laughs> this is my point here is well, have you have you seen the movie where um where it's mark Wahlberg and he tries out <laughs> for the philadelphia eagles and yeah. he makes the team and then he, he makes does. a big play yeah that's a big deal but i can't remember what
0: it's called but invincible invincible yeah yeah based on a true story yeah. It was it was a little less organized back then. No, I I like the
1: casualness of it. And yeah, he's just playing football. He loves it. Yeah, so he loved football. He um he actually it was against school rules in his uh pre priesthood that he wasn't supposed to be able to play football, but he did it anyways. Football was the thing that kept kinda of calling to him. Yeah, football is absolutely a love of his. So He goes to St. St. Francis Preparatory School, where he played fullback on their football team and was part of the all-city football team for New York City. Not bad, not bad. He gets a scholarship to play football once again in New York City, this Mm. time for Fordham University in the Bronx. Yeah. Did you like my Bronx accent? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Was that yours? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so the thing that I thought was crazy is the average Division One college football top lo- offensive lineman. So he played offensive line, which is the person who blocks for the quarterback yeah, and the this, running back.
0: Yeah. If you don't know, for American football, this is the bodyguard, just the big beefy dude who protects the asset, the quarterback.
1: Yeah. When you When you imagine the biggest player on the football field, that's this person. And right now, if you were to go to one of these top programs, I would say the average offensive lineman would probably be about somewhere between six foot two and six foot five, and probably weigh anywhere from 280 to 330 pounds. Yeah. Very, very large people. (laughs) And in in 1933, Vince Lombardi was. Playing in the offensive line at a smooth five foot eight, 180 pounds. A pipsqueak. But
0: as he says in all his quotes, <laughs> as he says in all his quotes, it's about the will,
1: it's about the fight in the dog. And he had fight. Mm-hmm. He played there for four years. In his senior year, um, he was part of the seven blocks of granite, was what they were called, which I thought that was <sighs> pretty interesting. And <laughs> this was a kind of like a weird thing. Back when Vince Lombardi was playing, they had all sorts of ties and all of the games were low scoring. Mm. So in his senior year, the team went 5-0-2 in the regular <laughs> season. So five wins, zero losses, and two ties. Mm-hmm. And then lost to NYU, who current day does not have a football team. <laughs> and missed their chance to make it to the Rose Bowl, which is like a huge college football game mm-hmm. still to this day. Yeah. I love that there were so many ties and it was just people banging each other.
0: Probably not a lot of touchdowns. It's not the flashy NFL. No, men it, wasn't. Were men. it was, it
1: was, it was the, the scores would be like seven, six. Yeah. Six, nothing. <laughs> six, six.
0: Okay. So for this segment, we have a special guest, King Kenneth. So Vince Lombardi, he was known to be a great leader. Mm. And so businesses would take him on to give them motivational speeches. Ken Ken, you're running a business and you have to choose between these two people. Who would you pick? Gordon Ramsay or Guy Fieri?
2: Oof. I'd have to say Guy Fieri. I am such a triple D fan. So <laughs> for me, I would be so motivated to do anything at work if Guy Fieri showed up one day and was like, <laughs> you know, put your tax, your, your sales on a flip-flop or whatever it is.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm
2: here it, for it.
0: But the Gordon Ramsay, he's got the get things done. You know, he's going to come in and be like, get your shit together. Get yeah.
2: I He's been able to turn, you know, winning the food network star into a 30 season show of diners, drive-ins and dives where all he does is go to different restaurants around the country and try stuff and just like talk. And like how good is that for a gig?
1: Gordon Ramsay could could do that with his eyes closed. <laughs> Anything <laughs> Guy Fieri does, Gordon Ramsay could do a thousand times better. I really do believe that. I like love Gordon Ramsay. And um Gordon Ramsay has over the course of his career, he's had something like twenty two Michelin stars, which is the sign of fine dining. And I think right currently, he has six Michelin stars at through, through four different restaurants that he has. Mm-hmm. Someone like that, that is someone who expects perfection mm-hmm. from their employees. So I think if you're bringing in Gordon Ramsay, your people are getting whipped into shape.
0: All right, Slavo, to you, we have two characters already covered by Buzz and Biographies. Ooh. Nikola Tesla or... Down under Steve Irwin.
1: I'm not sure how a Nikola Tesla motivational speech would go. (laughs) I'm a little worried as to where that would go. I feel like Mm -hmm. it would kind of go off the rails. It would be like an Elon Musk interview Mm -hmm. after he smoked the weed. (laughs) That's how I imagine Nikola Tesla is like right off the bat. So I'm going to go with Steve Irwin. Great vibes, Mm -hmm. positivity, preaching a lot of positive things conservation mm-hmm. is that nature love of animals yeah and you have to imagine steve Irwin comes with animals
0: <laughs> like wherever he shows up he's gonna bring some animal
1: that's what, what animal do you think what animal do you think he would bring
0: hmm. i mean i like to hope a gator you know he is the crocodile guy
1: i think that's what you gotta bring What <laughs> if he brought like a massive crocodile like way larger than it should be because you, you think he's going to bring a little one like he brings to the late night show, but what if they kicked it off? They don't even say it's Steve Irwin and they just release like a 20 foot (laughs) crocodile into the crowd. Do it. So King Ken, I got
0: two interesting kind of different people for you, Alex Arnold. And for people who don't know who he is, he free solo climbs. So he climbs up really tall mountains With nothing. No rope to save him. If he falls, he's dead. Wild stuff. And I have actually heard he does speak for businesses because he talks about risk versus reward because he's climbed all these mountains, again, without any just naked on the mountain. No help. Wait, he's
2: naked? <laughs> <laughs> metaphorically <laughs> naked <laughs>
0: unfortunately no he's not naked yeah metaphorically naked he just climbs with no rope or anything so if he falls he's dead and he climbs these really difficult routes or you could hire comedian dave chappelle who would you rather have speak?
2: that's a good question i don't know so i think i would go with the first guy just because it's so nuts and stuff like that. Hearing him speak would be interesting. And also you can hear Dave Chappelle on like a Netflix special, you know, he's all over the place. So like, I don't know. I think it would be rarer to hear the climber
1: dude. That's a good point. I just sent myself in a tizzy trying to think of whether or not I would want Dave Chappelle. So first I was thinking Dave Chappelle, if I hired him, he would come in and roast the management me. Mm. And like, you don't want that. You hire him to come in and he just roasts the management. But then I was like, cool management move. You have Dave Chappelle come in and roast the management. That's pretty likable from management. So it made me kind of want him. Yeah. Yeah. I I think if he prepared, I think he would be great. Yeah. Did his
0: research. I love the roast angle and that is a good angle. Nothing that can bring a company together better than just like making fun of the boss. So,
1: Vince. (laughs) Vince Holt. Vince Hall. So Vince graduates from Fordham. Doesn't necessarily get into football for a couple years. Yeah. He still had a passion for it and was playing it semi-professionally. So he was playing uh, semi-professional football. He went to Fordham Law School first semester, and um, he didn't fail out, but his grades weren't good enough where he thought he was going to make it as a lawyer. His heart wasn't in it. And so after a semester, he leaves Fordham Law School and st- wants to start a family with his girlfriend, Marie, who he marries in 1940. And around this time, he takes his first coaching job at St. Cecilia, a high school in Englewood, New Jersey. Yeah, also a teacher there.
0: But what's crazy is we all know he's going to become this famous NFL coach, Uh and he starts as a high school coach. That's like if you started at a high school movie production, like a drama club. Mm-hmm. And then you become the most famous Hollywood movie producer of all time. Is It's like, how do you do that? How
1: do you go from high school coach to? Well, as a matter of fact, when it comes to like NFL coaching, I think that that kind of a path is actually more common than you would expect. I think it's common, not, I wouldn't say common, but it is sometimes a path for folks to go from, there'll be like a high school head coach, a high school assistant, a high school head coach. And then maybe they get a an assistant job for a college team and then they work their way up the ranks there. So it's like the ultimate bottom of the totem pole. Like you start out the, working at your high school. He was working as the, the football coach and then he also worked as a teacher. His annual salary was under $1,000, which I actually put this into an inflation calculator it's approximately $18,000 in today's dollars, which I think is about minimum wage. Yeah. No, he's starting as low as you can start. Yeah. So he became the head coach of St. Cecilia in 1942. And then, and I think that was after three seasons working as an assistant, and then worked there for another five years as the head coach. Yeah. And
0: before we get into his success there, I just remembered. So he's. Coaching at this high school, marries his girlfriend, Marie, and on the honeymoon, he like kind of cuts it short because he has to go to football session practices. And again, this is at high school. He's making,
1: like, jack shit. Yeah, he's not – yeah, he's very small time, but he's – he still has that mentality. Yeah, he's, he's got to put his profession first. And another thing, bringing it back to Second Effort, the video, uh, he talks about is that when someone finds their profession, they have to put their whole heart into it, and they have to give it their all and that's what and that's what he does he's he's the head coach of a really strong high school football program yeah he's got to put it at the forefront of his mind so in 1943 saint cecilia was recognized as the best high school football team in the country he won in the 8 years that he was there three as an assistant five as head coach they won six championships Unreal, complete dominance. I
0: think at one point they won 32 games straight. They were playing teams three times the size. Like the student body was three times the size of schools, but they just dominated. Yeah, much like Vince himself. They even asked him to coach the basketball team and he never played basketball, knew nothing about basketball. He (laughs) goes to a book, like a basketball for dummies book. He starts talking to people. He coaches the basketball team and they're a success
1: and they win the championship. (laughs) And it's like he's just again he's just a leader of men. I love it. He does. He's never even played basketball, but he's like, yeah, "Yeah, I'll I'll coach the basketball team. And then in nineteen so nineteen forty seven, he leaves Saint Cecilia to go coach back at Fordham, which is where he went to school. Mm -hmm. He goes and coaches the freshman football and basketball teams at Fordham. So now he's Mm -hmm. at the university level coaching a freshman basketball team (laughs) and then the following year he kind of gets promoted up to and to be an assistant coach for the for the varsity football team so at this point we're in 19 by 1948 he's gotten to the point where he's working as a coach for a college program which is much more established maybe maybe big time yeah and then in 1948 he goes and works at the u.s military academy at west point Mm-hmm. As an assistant there, he was an offensive line coach. Yeah, and he seems like he'd be a good fit for West Point. In the military <laughs> lifestyle. The head coach's name was Earl Colonel Red Blake, <laughs> who just sounds like a very tough guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Colonel Red. Don't want to get on his bad side. Mm. I think it was a good time for him at the at West Point, and he coached there for five seasons. As the years went on, he became more and more of a significant person with, yeah. the, with the program. Yeah. He's working his way up the ladder. In 1954, he moves on to the NFL, and he accepts a coaching position with the New York football Giants. The... Team was I think they were pretty good when he went there and he was the de facto offensive coordinator, so the top offensive coach. They ended up winning the league championship in his third season there. So mm-hmm. he immediately, if we're looking at this modern day, he immediately is becoming kind of a hot commodity in the NFL as soon as he gets there. Yeah, best team in the league, and you're the offensive coordinator leading the offense. Yeah it's a big deal. Yeah, it's a huge deal. He uses this position to he, he applies for many head coaching positions at Wake Forest, Notre Dame, some of these college programs, but never even sing, received a single reply. Even though his coach at uh, his head coach at the Giants, Jim Lee Howell, was a huge advocate for him, mm-hmm. wrote lots of letters of recommendation. But like we talked about before, his Italian the the yeah. vowel at the end of the name, mm-hmm. and then in. 1959 he gets his chance and he doesn't just get his chance to be a coach but he also gets the chance to be the general manager which is the person who makes the decisions on the roster they decide who come what players come and which players go so he becomes the head coach and general manager of the green bay packers something Mm -hmm. that would become iconic for him and synonymous with him yeah he put green bay on
0: the map famously i think his daughter and wife weren't even aware of what, where green
1: Bay was. And he's like, pack your bags. Yep. And so the team went one, 10 and one in the, the year before he was hired. Bad <laughs> one, win, 10 losses and one tie. And then in his first season, they went seven and five. Mm-hmm. And the, um, so he won coach of the year that year. They were struggling with the tenants in 1959 season they were struggling to fill the stadium and Mm. after his first season they went on to sell out the stadium lambeau field in Mm -hmm. green bay after his first season and they have sold out every game since then yeah i've always really admired
0: and respected their fan base this is kind of a smallish city relative to having this huge nfl team and Technically the fans own the team. They have like, they own the stocks for the team is the only NFL team like that. They sell out every game. These are cold weather games. This is cold Wisconsin temperatures, you know, in the single digits and they're selling it out. And this is largely due to him. He put them on the map. He made them a big deal. Another thing he put on the map, the Packer sweep, (laughs) (laughs) the Packer sweep. Which in NFL, it's this either handoff or a toss. They did it both ways, but it's a very basic play that everyone does. Mm-hmm. But he was obsessed with it. To the point, John Madden, this future NFL commentator coach, when he was just a young gun, he went into a meeting, and for four hours, Vince Lombardi talked about this one simple play, the pack or sweep, they break. He comes back, talks for another four hours, but I can imagine him at some dinner party with his wife and you know he's talking to all the guests about the Packer sweep. She pulls him aside and she's like, Vince, what we say? <laughs> <laughs> no one cares about yeah. the Packers
1: sweep. But he's like, everybody cares about the Packers
0: sweep. <laughs> I mean, people said the Packer sweep was just indefensible. Like, however you try to defend it, he had an, <laughs> like, an alternate option
1: to defeat that. When you say indefensible, because it makes it sound like, it's, it's like, like It's horrible. You couldn't defend it, but you could. Yeah, you could not defend the Packers sweep, and and it shows because in his second season, they go on and they win the Western Conference Championship for the first time in 17 years. He is offered the New York Giants head coaching position before the league championship game, and he turns it down. And then in that game, kind of famously, the team stopped stopped the one-yard line with a chance to win his first NFL championship. They're stopped at the one-yard line, and they end up losing the game. Oh, the other team stops them just from winning. Yeah, they, they can't quite get it. And mm-hmm. he was absolutely devastated after, yeah. after losing this game, only stopping one yard short. He was quoted saying after, this will never happen again. You will never lose another championship. Yeah. And they note that his teams were be after this point. His teams were notorious for being able to get that one yard. Yeah, he was really upset and learned from this.
0: And people said after that, you know, you have your Ricky Bobby. If you ain't first, you're
1: last. And he is determined to go win NFL championships. What does he do? He goes and he wins the NFL championship in 1961, and then he wins the NFL championship in 1962, and then he wins the NFL championship in 1965, and then how about 1966 and 1967? He's the first person who wins three in a row in 1965, 66, and 67, and his team wins five championships in seven seasons in the 1960s. Dominant.
0: This team before him was one in ten and one. Probably one the last one. place.
1: Getting amped up, just talking about it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, let's go. Right. So and then, yeah. So in nineteen sixty-six and nineteen sixty-seven, you may not know those as the nineteen sixty-six and nineteen sixty-seven NFL championships. You may know those as Super Bowl one and Super Bowl two. Yeah, and
0: this was a big deal. You have two football leagues combining, see who has a better team. There was a lot of pressure. He came through. They won. I have a side note. I noticed when watching the highlights, all the coaches wore suits and, like, ties, and they dress up really nice, which is just a far cry from, you know, your Bill Belichick's who basically look like, you know, they came in off the street in run-down mm-hmm. hoodies. Yep. What What is the hat? that Fedora. He wore a fedora. Yeah, he wore a fedora. And I, <laughs> I swear one time one of the other coaches had, like, a spectacle.
1: They had, like... <laughs> <laughs> they look like... Uh... <laughs> Uh, they look like robber barons. Yeah, <laughs> dude. Like that. There's some high class coaches. So I was like, wow, it's pretty fancy. I mean, somebody comes out coaching you with a spectacle. That's that's an enemy. That's <laughs> yeah, a villain. Yeah. That's a villain. That's an absolute. They're looking like Grover Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. it, it, one of those Super
0: Bowls was very famous, known as the Ice Bowl. Mm, such a great name for a sporting yeah. event. It really fits him, right? You have this like this tough the ice bowl. The temperature was negative thirteen degrees. I think the windshield may have been negative thirty eight. Which is insanely cold. Oh yeah. Especially for a sport with so much contact and like it just
1: pain hurts more in the cold. Yep. Yep. And in that game, they won the ice bowl with Bart Starr, who's a famous quarterback, ran it in on third and one from the one yard line and got yep. it through. And, and then he, and then came back to Vincent Lombardi, who said, all right, let's get out of here. <laughs> like did not want to be out in the cold. Like as soon as they won the game, they're like, <laughs> all right, we won. Let's get out of here. This is, <laughs> this, oh, is man. this is horrible.
0: Yep. And they got that touchdown on the one. It, it killed them before, but not this time,
1: not this time. So then in 1968, he steps down as the Packers coach, but remains the general manager of the team, and the Packers immediately feel the effects of Vince leaving as, as the coach. They go 6-7-1 mm-hmm. and one, and don't make the playoffs in yeah. the first season with the new coach. So you have before and after Vince. This is a bad team.
0: When Vince is there, one of the best teams of all time.
1: Yep. And so what does he do in 1969? When we went to the moon. <laughs> allegedly. he, he Allegedly. <laughs> when in 1969, when video effects were at <laughs> an all-time high, he goes to another bad team, the Washington, formerly known as the Washington Redskins, at the time, now the Washington football team. He goes to the Washington football team who is another bad team and he becomes there does the same thing with that. He did with the Packers. He becomes their head coach and he becomes their GM. And what do they do in their first season? They go from a losing team to a winning team. They go seven, five and two in their first season. Yeah. Incredible. So that's their best record in eight years. And this is the only, uh, it's the only season he coaches for the Washington football team. The reason that it was his only season coached, is because in June 1970, um, Vince was kind of notorious for not wanting to go to the doctor. <laughs> like a lot of hard, hard men of his time, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, he, he, did not, he, he did not like going to the doctor. Yeah. And it was discovered he was having some digestive issues. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it was discovered that he had cancer in the rectal area of his colon. So he had colon cancer. They did further re- research on the cancer and discovered that it was terminal, and then unfortunately, things deteriorated from there, and he unfortunately passed away in September of 1970. So a very yeah. quickly, kind of a very sudden situation, and the yeah. and the nation when this ha- when this happened, mm-hmm. the nation really took it very hard. Mm-hmm. President Nixon called him when he, when he was diagnosed. And basically said that america was behind him Mm -hmm. and said he was going to fight it as hard as he possibly could Mm -hmm. but it was it was just unfortunately it was a a fight that couldn't be won yeah but the nation really kind of rallied behind how influential he was within the country Mm -hmm. Um, here's a big deal at the top of his game a well-known face and figure and so the super bowl trophy was actually renamed the Vincent Barney Trophy basically mm-hmm. right a, right after. And he yeah. he's in the the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame. He's in the Washington Football Team Hall of Fame. He's in the Ring of Honor for the Washington Football Team.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, NFL Hall of Fame, I'm assuming.
1: <laughs> yes, he's in the NFL Hall of Fame. He's in the Green Bay is in Wisconsin. He's in the Wisconsin Athletics Hall of Fame. His namesake is on the uh, Georgetown Hospital Cancer Center. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. M- motion to put him in the Buzz and Biographies Hall of Fame. The Buzz and Biographies Ring of Honor? <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> the Buzz and Biographies. Do you second, do you second Flaming the- <laughs> Flaming Ring of Fame. <laughs> do you second the motion? Second. Done. Some other just random things. He. It's called the Lombardi Comprehensive Cancer Center at. Georgetown hospital that was named in his honor. He also has a 14 foot statue in front of Lambeau field in green Bay. There's street names named after him in green Bay. There's a school named after him in green Bay. Yep. And he even appeared on a postage stamp in the nineties. So signs you made it. That's from a different podcast. (laughs) If you're on a stamp, that's a pretty good sign. Yeah. That's a, that's a big sign. Another sign you've made it. They did a Broadway play on his life. In 2010.
0: Wow. Yeah. Cultural figure. A phenomenon. A legend. (laughs) Another thing I wanted to bring it up. I just didn't find a good time to, I don't know if there is a good time, but that was a good time. And and this just kind of almost gave him like a human component. I guess there was a time he didn't really get along with his son and daughter per se. And a lot of people say it's probably because he was so focused on work, But, but now, you know, I've seen his son speak pretty highly of him the little trouble going on there and mm-hmm. his wife was very famously an alcoholic to the point where addicted to pills to the point where her son Vince's son brought his like fiance when they got engaged to see his mom and she was like passed out and they had to overdosed they had to bring her to the hospital so it was just kind of a you know it, it's a human story
1: yeah There's sacrifices are definitely made. And I think Mm -hmm. there there's probably some difficulties in his family life at times. Did you know his grandson is currently working in the NFL? Yeah, I I saw that. Joe Lombardi. He is the offensive coordinator for the LA Chargers. So that's a fun fact. Yeah.
0: Also famously, people said like when you found him as happiest was after Sunday, after football games, they would usually have people over to their house. They'd pour a few drinks. He would be, like, really touchy-feely and outgoing. Mm-hmm. And every other day of the week, every other moment of the week was football. But supposedly, like, that Sunday night, yeah, it was just kind of, like,
1: good time. Well, he cut his – <laughs> what does it say? Like, let, let, his, let, hair, head- let, it, let <laughs> his hair loose. <live laughs> what was I saying? Cut, cut, his, cut his hair loose. <laughs> he would literally cut his hair on Sunday night. BMAC was with us on the Jim Jones podcast. It was a fun recording situation, but maybe not a fun topic when talking about Jim Jones. But wild topic. Wild topic. So B-Mac may be taking a bit of a slumber. <laughs> he may or may not be currently asleep. So we're going to just test that out. Hello, B-Mac. How are you? Hello. You? Glad to be back. Yeah. Wow. He, he
3: wakes up beautifully. Yeah. I'm coming in. I'm coming in. Uh, well, uh, I have to say, no better way to be woken up from a nap than to be talking about Vince Lombardi. <laughs> I need. To, were you actually asleep? Did you fall asleep? I,
1: I was right on the cusp. Oh my gosh. Right my we came in right as he was about to fall asleep. Sorry that we woke you up for this uh, segment. Hate to be a bother. Oh, absolutely
3: not.
0: <laughs> All right. So I'm going to describe two coaches and tell me which coach you would want to play for. First, Vince Lombardi, the man of the hour, Super strict guy, player famously quoted. He treats us all the same. He treats us like dogs. (laughs) Famously, at the start of high school training camp, he would kick the football in the distance into the woods and be like, you don't need to see that for the next two weeks. We're just going to run. We're going to do calisthenics. So now let me talk about Pete Carroll's coaching style. So music blaring in the locker room. They would break up meetings and play like bean toss they do yoga and meditation this is like a startup hippie type culture
3: i mean that all sounds great those are all great parts of a of a culture of a winning organization the issue with seattle seahawks is that they are not a winning organization because Pete carroll when it comes down to it is not making the right call he's gonna he's gonna tell russell wilson to throw the ball when he has Marshawn lynch in the backfield right He's, At the yeah. end of the day, Vince Lombardi is a winning head coach.
1: Yeah, he, he's a little How soft. How many Super Bowls did he win? Five. Yeah. yeah well, technically, he won two, but wow. it's because he was in Super Bowl one and two. Yeah. <laughs> but he won three championships before then.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's five times more than Pete uh, Carroll.
1: Yeah, I mean, there
0: are only like six teams. so
3: The age-old uh, debate of should we have fun or should we win? Okay, what we will leave you with here is
1: a Super Bowl – Prediction from you, knowing full well that by the time this podcast comes out, the Super Bowl will have already happened, and you will almost assuredly be incorrect, be wrong.
3: (laughs) I am going to say for sure Tom Brady gets his seventh ring and celebratory kisses his son afterwards. (laughs) Thank you. you. Solidifies his his legacy as the greatest of all time, undisputed. Argue with that?
0: Yeah. There you go. And I'm
3: going to give you a score. It's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be 28 to 13. Damn. Wow. Wow. Crushing them.
1: 28 to 13. BMAC, we will let you get back to your snooze. <laughs> Thank you for your yeah.
0: time. Sweet dreams. <laughs> Vince Lombardi. If anyone is familiar with the Lombardi name, it's from the Super Bowl, the Lombardi Trophy. So one memory I have, which is almost one of the most iconic Super Bowl moments – the Janet Jackson Fernangle Janet Jackson mishap wardrobe mishap. I don't know what we
1: want to call it. I think, I think it was yeah, performance, performance art. Yeah,
0: performance <laughs> art.
1: <laughs> when that happened, I remember seeing it live and seeing it happen and turning to everybody in my family and being like, Did you just see that? And everybody was like, no, you're crazy. They had not seen it, but they said that definitely didn't happen and then it was the next day in the in the newspaper or whatever or on t v yeah, that wow. everything came out about that. yeah, I mean, it was I crazy you, though.
0: It was probably pretty quick, and they cut off so quickly for me, my family taped that Super Bowl because the Patriots were in it, and then years later. Four years later, I'm in my early teens. I'm hormonal. And me and my friend, we go back to watch that tape to see the infamous wardrobe malfunction or artistic moment. And my parents had taped over it.
1: <laughs> I love that your parents did that. I, <laughs> I also love that you just the way that you were kind of introing that was years later. I was hormonal. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, you know what? You know what That's else great. is kind of a famous Super Bowl tradition which I want to hear your guys take on is and sports tradition in general is streaking. Even in that Super Bowl the Janet Jackson Super Bowl, there was a streaker. What do you guys think about it? Are you in favor of it? Should they televise it cuz they never follow the
1: guy. What are your thoughts? Or a girl. Hey. Yeah, there's there's been uh I think there was a female streaker at the world cup final or something like that. Yeah. Where it was something for some sort of triple X website. Or something. <laughs> yeah, it was an yeah. advertisement. Um, I think a streaker every once in a while is, is fun, mm-hmm. but the second it, it's going to get old quick. If they keep, if they keep coming. Yeah. If so, they reward it. Yeah. yeah. I think you, you definitely don't reward it because then too much of a I think it's fun when it happens, especially if they accidentally get it on camera. Yeah. <laughs> but there's definitely too much of a good thing when yeah. it comes to when it comes to streakers.
2: Yeah. I, I kinda like it how it is right now.
0: You know what I love is uh when animals are the streakers. When they're just animals on the field. Oh. Those are great. Like a cat.
1: Like when the yeah, black cat. There's, black cat. There's been black cats in the field. Sometimes there's like a squirrel running around. That's good. That's a good time.
0: 28 to three comeback was just unreal. Like that type of comeback in the regular season doesn't happen to happen in the playoffs. Everything went perfectly. Like it was hard to believe at the moment when it was 28 to three. This is just Patriot fans jerking off right here. But like there was, there was honestly like no part of me that really believed. And I was, I was going to drive from Maine to Boston that next morning and I almost like pulled the.
1: Were you at, were you at, uh, at your place at, i think at our yeah. place um yeah. I you
0: know- put, uh, mark mark walberg and just left because i was driving back to boston <laughs> but what were you gonna say
2: um, a lot of people know- left that super
1: bowl similar similarly to that one the one that it was like maybe even crazier was when david tyree caught <laughs> i just tried to flip the script and go completely anti-patreon oh no dude
0: i i love the fact that the Giants and Eli Manning have the Patriots number. Like, I it's, love it's Eli so absurd. Manning
1: for it. Yeah. It's so absurd. But the David Tyree catch and the Patriots being 18 and 0 and
0: yeah. then
1: going down in the Super Bowl to Eli Manning and the Giants, mm-hmm. that was like, I'm sure a lot of people in New England have blacked that one out of their memory, but that was. I don't know crazy. what you're
2: talking
0: about.
1: Exactly. <laughs> it. No, kind of I remember. Yeah, it was insane how yeah. epic of a downfall that was.
0: That's such a good point. You have like the dominant superpower,
1: greatest team, the greatest team ever. Going, in. yeah. All they had to do was win that game. Here at Buzz and Biographies, we love our listeners, and we want to hear them talk to us. We want to hear what you have to say. I want you to comment and tell us who you think the next guest should be?
0: Yeah. I mean, I would say the algorithms, they can't measure the heart, the blood, the sweat, and the grit that goes into this. So that's why we need our listeners to give a vote for Buzz and Biographies, like, follow. And then it shows the algorithm that, hey, we like these guys. And as we grow... There's, uh, there's more effort we can put in that we can give more back to the listeners because as we grow, I can justify I can be like, hey, Paz's girlfriend, I'm going to have to cancel date night tonight because it's very important that we record this podcast and get wow. out this content for the listeners.
1: <laughs> that was great. <laughs> the, more, the more five-star reviews that we get, the more likely we are to cancel our plans with our girlfriends <laughs> to record this podcast. I think that would give us kind of an edge. Absolutely.
0: Thank you all for listening. We love you. Stay strong. Slavo so got any words?
1: I want all of our listeners to think of three things. Their religion, their families, and Buzz and Biographies. Bless. Amen. (laughs)